So we've watched that video each week. Uh, I've loved the, the impact point when that arrow hits the target and you see those ripple effects, those waves uh, that come out from it on the target it's hitting. And I want to talk this morning about those ripples and about those waves that come as we live our lives in the center of God's will. I titled this series Target Practice, talking about hitting the target of God's will for our lives. And we've been kind of asking the question, how do we hit the target? How do we find the target of living in the center of God's will for our lives? As we've talked about the last four weeks, the the key principle, the thing I've been trying to reiterate each week is that we do that by walking with God. In our series, Truth, I uh, hope that you're getting this, uh, that, that it's sinking in for you, is that if we're going to find God's will, we walk with God today to find His will for tomorrow. said that over and over again, and I'll say it a couple of more times today, that if we're going to find God's will, walk with Him today to find His will for tomorrow. But this morning, the last in our series on Joseph, I want you to see that God is not totally unconcerned with tomorrow. I want to caution a little bit against getting so caught up in here and now and what takes place today that we don't think about or that we don't plan or prepare for tomorrow or for our future. Because that could wrongly lead us to an attitude or philosophy where we would kind of say, eat, drink, and be merry today for tomorrow we may die. We don't know what, you know, tomorrow holds, so live for the moment, live for today, and, and don't worry about tomorrow. But that philosophy, that attitude, that's not God's will for us. That's not what God was de- would desire, is that we don't think about the future. We don't think about and plan and see what he has in store for us. Because God does have a plan. God wants to accomplish things in your life, both now and in the future. And so we, we need to recognize this in, in, important truth of walking with God today and being used by him in the future at the same time. And so this morning, I hope that you'll be inspired at the thought of what God might accomplish in your life now, but as much so, if not even more so, by the thought of what God might do in the future as a result of your obedience and your faithfulness to him today. Many of you uh, received on your way in a, a seed. It's a small seed you got in this little bag. If you slipped in late, you may have not got one. You can get one on the way out if you would like to have it just as a, a reminder. This is kind of an object lesson for you today. It's a sunflower seed. Some of you are asking, you know, what this is and what it's for. Um, it's a snack that holds you over to lunch because a lot of you leave before the service is over. So maybe this will keep you in your seats today before we're finished, all right? I'm just, just kidding about that, kind of, a little bit. Okay. But anyway, what I really hope this seed that will serve as a reminder, maybe you put it in your office or in your car, somewhere where you can see it, I hope that it will serve to remind you of Joseph's life and his service to God and the impact your life as you follow Joseph's example of walking with God can make both today and in future generations. Because a question about the seed that you received, anybody want to guess how many sunflowers and seeds in the future your seed could produce if you were to plant it. Well, duh. There's no way we could know that. I mean, how could we know how many possible sunflowers in the future and seeds this single seed could produce? Well, let me change the question on you a little bit. How many lives can your life impact for Jesus Christ? Well, once again, we say, well, it's impossible for us to know that. And that is our series truth in practice. 
that we walk with God today to find his will for tomorrow. Because sometimes our danger is we get so focused on tomorrow or next week or next month that we neglect walking in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ today. But we need to nurture and we need to cultivate that relationship with Christ today that he can do his work in us and produce fruit for his kingdom tomorrow and next week and next month and a decade into the future. So you see that principle at work? Walk with God today to find his will and to be in his will tomorrow and in the future. Because as you are walking with Christ today, God is preparing you and and using you as part of his greater plan, both now and in the future. And here's the thing. I mean, we'd plant this seed and we'd water it and we'd kind of let it sit there for a while, not know that anything is going on. And sometimes in our lives, we may not think there's a whole lot going on. And we may not realize that God is doing a great work within us. But never discount. Never underestimate what God is able to do through people who are fully surrendered and fully devoted to him today and every day. And live your life in obedience and surrender to him. We're going to flip a little bit back in history today. So take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to predate Joseph by just a little bit. I want you to go to Genesis 15. This is where God comes and visits a man named Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham. You may know him as Father Abraham, who had many sons, and I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left arm, right foot. Okay, you you got Father Abraham here. Well, God promised Abraham, or Abram, that he would have many sons. Chapter 15, Genesis 15, verse 5 says this, and he brought him outside, this is God, and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now that's a big promise to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. We said, we can't count those, that would be impossible. And it's a big promise. And it's an even bigger promise when you realize that Abraham was 75 years old and his wife Sarah was 65 when God first made the promise back in Genesis chapter 12. But here in Genesis 15, God is confirming his covenant. He's reaffirming that this is going to take place through Abram. And he tells him about something his future descendants are going to experience. Look down in verse 13. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now turn to the book of Exodus chapter 1. Flip to your right, the next book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 1. And while you're turning, I want you to understand Abraham's uh, family tree. There was Abraham who was promised these many descendants, and he had a son named Isaac. His one and only son was named Isaac. And you would think for God to help him have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, he'd start out more like the Duggar family, but it didn't. He only had one son, uh, and it was Isaac because God only needed the one son through Abraham. Isaac was the father of Esau and Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel, as we talked about in week one. And he had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. One of Jacob's sons was Joseph, who was the prime minister, second in command of Egypt. Well, Exodus 1, verse 5, 
tells us this. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. So with Joseph and his family put in, there's about 75 uh, members of Jacob's family. I mean, that's still a long way to go from as numerous as the stars uh, in the sky. But I want you to see how important your walk with God today can be for future generations. Because here's the thing. Jacob was living in Canaan. This is the land that God had given Abraham and all of his descendants. This is your home. This is the land that you will occupy. So they're in that land and then God tells him, your descendants will, will leave here and then return, making Canaan what we call the promised land. It was promised that it would be their land when they returned. So we say, well, when did they leave? I mean, they're in there when God gives this promise to Jacob and to Abraham. They're living there. So when did they leave? Why did they leave? Where did they go? And when did they return? So we have these questions because they're in the land but God says they're going to leave and come back. So what happened? Well, flip back to Genesis 46, verse 3. We're, we're flipping a little bit this morning. I want you to see this story and how it all ties together uh, and the pieces fit. In Genesis 46, Jacob has discovered that his son Joseph is still alive. And Joseph, at Pharaoh's command, has said, you all come and live with me in Egypt. Bring the whole family. We'll care for you. We'll give you a part of the land. And we can live uh, here and be alive because there was a great famine taking place in the land. And in Genesis 46, verse 3, God says to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So Jacob moved his family to Egypt because of the famine. Joseph had prepared Egypt, and so at Pharaoh's request, he brought his family there to provide for them in the land of Egypt. So they left Canaan to go to Egypt because of the famine. Now go back to Exodus 1. And look with me at verse 6. It says, Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And then in verse 8, the background music becomes a little more ominous and a little more foreboding as we read these words. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. God told Abraham that his descendants would be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they would be servants there. And we see the words of God fulfilled here in Exodus chapter 1. So the question I want to ask in this is, what was Joseph's role? What, what role did Joseph play in this whole story? He prepared the place where God's people would come and be fruitful and multiply for several centuries according to what God had told Abraham 
two generations before. And some commentators estimate that when the Israelites left Egypt, there were between three and four million of them, counting the men, women, and children. And so remember this promise of descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and they come, and they're, they're fruitful. They, they multiply there in Egypt, and then they leave under Moses' leadership later in the book of Exodus and go back to where? The promised land. So you see how this whole thing works. And here's Joseph doing his part in walking with God during his lifetime, walking with God each day to discover God's will for tomorrow, And Joseph recognized that that while his life was only a small part of God's greater plan and God's greater will for mankind, his life, his generation, his walk with God was still a part of God's will. And that he knew he, just as us, just as we should, be faithful in our part. We need to be faithful in our generation. And we think, oh, yeah, well, i got 60 years to be faithful. Well, when are you going to start being faithful in your 60 years? When's the best time to start? Today. And God wants you to walk faithfully with him every day so that he can teach you, he can equip you, and God can use you to accomplish his will in your life during your lifetime, during your generation, that God can use it to accomplish his overall will in this generation, but also in future generations. And Joseph understood this. He understood doing his part so that God could use him to do even greater things in the future. Go back to Genesis 45. We're slowing down. We're not going to flip as much here. I know your fingers are getting tired now, so we'll slow down some. But in Genesis 45, Joseph references the fact that he was playing a part in God's larger will for his family. He says in chapter 45, verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So he said, God brought me here so that we could could live, we could survive, and God could continue his work based on the promises that have come before us. So he says in verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He recognized God's will, God's call, and God's plan for his life. And so here's the principle that we learn from Joseph's life in this area. God's will is a journey, not a destination. God's will is a journey, not a destination. God calls us to a growing, intimate relationship with himself. And as we walk with him, he reveals to us his will. But when we view God's will as a destination, as a, as a place where we arrive and we're there and we're settled, we can be tempted to bypass the growth and the development that God wants to do in our lives by simply going to the spot or going to the place or going to the destination that we feel God has called us to and which he has planned for us. For example, if I told you to meet me at Martin's at 2 o'clock today because we were going to do something really important, what would you do? You probably at 2 o'clock would get to Martin's in whatever way is most convenient for you and say, okay, I'm here, what are we going to do? But if I told you, hey, I want you to meet me at Martin's at 2 o'clock today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out here and I want you to get on Conduit and head south, go down past the middle school, and when you get get past the middle school, take a right, and then you're going to come on this one street, I forget the name of it, you'll turn left, and it's going to bring you to the boulevard. Then I want you to turn right and come north on the boulevard. What are you going to say to me? Why? Well, that's a silly way to go. 
That's the long way to go. Why would I go that way? You know, I'm going to waste all that time and all that gas. I mean, it's just three quarters of a mile right here in Ellerslie. Why would I go that way? What do you want me to go that way for? Well, here's the thing. Maybe on that way, maybe there are things that I want you to see. Maybe there are things that I want you to experience and go through in this journey, in this trip down there, so that when you get to Martin's and I say, hey, here's what we're going to do, you'll go, man, that's all. You know, I, I saw this. This is how this is going to work. And you would be ready to do what we're going to do at Martin's at 2 o'clock. But if you don't follow that route and you're not prepared and you haven't seen those things, you're just going to go your own way. you say, I'll get there my way. And you're going to miss that preparation and those things that you needed to experience to be able to accomplish that thing at 2 o'clock. So do you see why God's will is a journey and not a destination? I mean, a lot of us, if God said, hey, would you want to be second in command, prime minister of Egypt? Would say, whoo, sign me up. You know, wealth and status and authority. Yeah, I mean, living in the palace, dude, I'll be there. I'll be prime minister in Egypt. But how many of us would have said, okay, and let me spend 13 years as a prisoner as a, and as a slave to get there? We want to sign up for that? Oh, I don't want to go that route. I mean, I like the palace, but I don't want the, the path to get there. See, we, don't, we would skip those things. We're tempted to run ahead of God and, and miss the preparation and the development that's necessary for God to use us when we arrive at that place. But you see, God calls us to a relationship with himself so that we'll walk closely with him and not run ahead of him and get out there on our own. And as we walk with God, he teaches us, he equips us, he prepares us for what he's called us to do so that when we arrive at this time and and God reveals what it is that he has for us to do, we're not overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. Henry Blackaby talked about this principle uh, in experiencing God. Some of you have taken this study. Henry Blackaby said, God always calls us to something bigger than ourselves, to something bigger than we could accomplish on our own. And he says that God does that for two reasons. One, so that we will depend upon God to accomplish what it is that's set before us. I mean, we see this task and go, Lord, there's no way I can do that. And God says, that's exactly right. You walk with me, you depend on me, and I'll take care of it. So so God calls us to something bigger, so we depend upon God. But the second reason God always calls us to something bigger than ourselves is so that God gets the glory for it. So that when his will is accomplished and when God uh, does what he wants to do through our lives, we'll step back and we'll go, man, that was God. There's no way I could have done that. And people around us will look and go, I know you. There's no way you could, you know, that had to have been God, you know, working through you. God gets the glory for what has transpired through our lives. And as I begin to, uh, to land this thing, we've been about four and, and a half weeks about where we are now. I, I want to tell you kind of what set me on this journey through Joseph's life. And then I want you to see the amazing way that God used Joseph's faithfulness to leave a legacy that went beyond just a couple of generations. I mean, we're still reading about Joseph's story now, centuries later. And then I want you to see how Joseph's life and his faithfulness to God has resounded into eternity. And I want you to know that God can use your life in a similar fashion if you will learn to put these principles into practice and and walk with God today to find his will for tomorrow. Each spring and each fall, I try to slip away for a few days for a, for a prayer and a study retreat and do several things. But one of the things I really work on is my preaching calendar for the upcoming months. And this spring as I went away, I, I was looking at the summer and the fall calendar, and I saw that Joseph was our focal character in VBS. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go back and read Joseph's story. I don't know what I'm preaching on just yet, so maybe I'll read and maybe God will show me something there. And I came to Genesis chapter 41 verse 46, 
and God stopped me dead in my tracks. Now, I shared this verse with you several weeks ago, and you probably don't even remember this verse. Uh, But as I was reading through, I came to Genesis 41, verse 46, and I read these words. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And I thought, well, how old was Joseph when he was sold into slavery? So I flipped back to Genesis 37, and I found that as near as we can tell, Joseph was around 17, somewhere in that time frame, according to what Scripture tells us, when he first had the vision and God told him that, hey, your family's going to bow down to you one day, and then his brother sold him into slavery shortly thereafter. And as I read those words and put together those numbers in my head, I heard the Holy Spirit clear as a bell whisper and say, Curtis, are you willing to wait 13 years? to see the vision that God has placed in your heart and your spirit come to fruition at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. And I wish I could tell you that I immediately said, yes, Lord. And I told God that if it took 13 years or if it took longer or if I didn't even see it in my lifetime, that I was going to be faithful and serving and and preparing and doing what I could uh, so that this church could do what God is leading it to do in the future. But I'm not quite as spiritual as some of you all are. And so when the Holy Spirit kind of whispered that, I swallowed real hard and went, Lord, I don't know. That's a really long time. And Lord, since you and I are having this conversation and nobody else is ever going to hear about it, and since you already know this about me, I'm not really that patient of a person. And Shelly nods and says, Amen. And so as I'm kind of wrestling with this going, wow, that is a long time. I began to ask and say, well, how did Joseph do it? So I went back and I looked at his life and I said, what did he do for those 13 years to stay focused on God and to not give up, to to not get discouraged and and not quit and and walk away? And I've been sharing some of those insights and those principles with you uh, these last few weeks that God spoke to my own heart and my own spirit uh, as a result. Uh, One of the things that really blew me away, though, in all this was Joseph's demeanor. I mean, through it all in his situation, he he trusted God. He continued to walk faithfully with God. Uh, He knew he was in the center of God's will, but a large part of what had taken place in Joseph's life came as a result of, of human decisions and human actions from his perspective. I mean, his brothers sold him into slavery. I mean, very easy to get frustrated at his brothers and say, you know, look what these guys did to me. Uh, when he did the right thing in Potiphar's household by, by standing up against the sexual temptation that came his way, he wound up getting thrown in prison. You go, man, I did the right thing and I wind up in prison. Uh, in prison, he was serving other people. He helped a guy get out of prison who could have helped free him. And what happened? He waited two years longer because that guy didn't uh, you know, share uh, with his superior and get Joseph out of there. And so all these things are going on. And I thought, how easy would it have been for Joseph to, to shake his fist at heaven and go, why me, God? I mean, this isn't fair. Why do people keep treating me badly when I haven't done anything wrong? I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to walk with you. And I experience all this junk. And I think the temptation for anger and resentment and bitterness would have been so easy for Joseph. Yet he continued to walk faithfully day in, day out, year after year, walking with God. And the Bible says that God continued to show his love to Joseph, and Joseph received that love, and he allowed God's love to change him. And God used Joseph in a tremendous way in his generation, but also for generations to come. And I want you to see this impact that took place in future generations. Back to Genesis 49 now. Genesis 49. 
Jacob's family, when we come to this point in the story, are well established in Egypt. uh, Jacob is nearing the end of his life, and so he calls in his 12 sons uh, to pronounce a special, very specific blessing on each of them. One of his sons was named Judah, and I want to read to you part of the blessing that Jacob pronounced upon Judah. Genesis 49, verse 10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now this language and this blessing toward Judah is referencing a king. That the scepter would not depart from Judah. That the ruler's staff between his feet firmly established means this king will be firm and unmovable. And then he goes on to say that all people will offer obedience and tribute to this ruler. So this promise is that Judah is going to have a descendant who's going to arise and be a king forever. Now Judah's descendants come to be a part of the nation of Judah. And for a time, Judah was the southern portion of of the nation of Israel. But when the kingdom divided, Judah became its own nation. And King David was from Judah's lineage. He was one of his descendants. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes the following promise to King David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And in Matthew chapter 1, as it begins, it gives the genealogy, the the family tree of Jesus Christ himself. And it says uh, that Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And it goes on, it says later, and Jesse was the father of David the king. And it wraps up at the end of Matthew 1 by saying, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So through Abraham, to Judah, to David, to Jesus, we see God's plan for the salvation of mankind. That all people could be saved and could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, as you read through and find in the book of Revelations, that Jesus will be established as a king forever. He will rule eternity as king of kings and lord of lords, the Bible says. And the book of Philippians tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him as Lord. And so we see this promise carried through that would follow all of these descendants. And we look and we say, and what was Joseph's part in this? Well, he did his part in his generation, even though his name isn't on the list, and he prepared the place that God's people would grow and would continue God's plan of redemption and salvation for mankind. And, you know, Joseph isn't the only person like that. There are many other faithful believers and followers of Jesus Christ who served God in their generation and were used mightily in God's plan of providing salvation to all people through faith in Jesus Christ. And my prayer for each of us is that we would be willing to live fully devoted, fully surrendered, fully obedient lives to Jesus Christ in our generation. And that those who follow after us would come to know Christ more more fully and make his name more known than we have in our generation. That's my prayer for us, is that it won't stop with us, but that it will continue and do even greater things in generations to come. And church, I want you to know that the Great Commission, leading people to a relationship with Jesus Christ and then discipling them so that they can experience a growing relationship with him is a heartbeat. It's the passion that I have as your pastor. 
And as I have walked through Joseph's life and his example, I pray that God would help me be faithful in that task right here, right now, in this chapter of history for our church. But I have also prayed that God would do even greater things in the future than anything that we have seen him do in the past so that more and more people may come to know his son as their savior and as Lord of their life. How many seeds are going to come from the seed that you held in your hand earlier? Only God knows. Only God knows that. But the role that you can play in that process is planting this seed and then watering it and providing it sunlight and fertilizer and cultivating the soil, giving it an environment and a place that this seed can grow and can bear fruit. Only God can make that seed grow. Only God makes all things grow, but you can create the environment. You can create that fertile soil for God to do the work that only he can do. And you know what? That's true of this seed, but it's also true spiritually. We don't know what fruit God may produce through our lives, but as we walk with God, we try and create a fertile environment, a fertile soil in our hearts and in our lives for God's word to take root and for it to grow, for God's presence and for his power to to grow out and be displayed in our lives, producing fruit for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. And I want to close this morning by highlighting how walking with God in what may seem for us today small, uh, seemingly insignificant ways can be used by God in miraculous ways through the power of multiplication. If I offered you, a couple of weeks ago I threw out a $100 bill. I'm going to up that today a little bit. If I were to offer you, now I'm not going to pay out on this, but if I were to offer you a million dollars now or a penny doubled every day for a month, which one would you take? All right, so some of you are saying the penny. Well, let me, before you answer, let me give you uh, one week here. Today I'd give you a penny. Tomorrow you'd have two pennies. The next day, uh, four pennies. Then eight cents, 16 cents, 32, 64. You got 64 cents at the end of one week. So the million bucks now, or you still want to kind of carry it on? Well, if you carry it on, on the 31st day, you would have over $10.7 million dollars. Take the doubling, okay? Let the power of of multiplication work for you in that instance. But now I want to take that concept of multiplication and apply it to reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll talk in the terms of reaching people for Christ and seeing them come to Christ versus reaching people for Christ and discipling them as the Great Commission tells us to do. If you were to lead one person to Christ every week for the next 16 years, 832 people would be saved. That's a tremendous effort to to, to be able to share that, to see God do that work in that many people's lives. If you were to lead one person a day to Christ for the next 16 years, 5,840 people would be saved. That would be awesome. And I pray that God would allow us to, to share the gospel that many times and see that many people come to Christ. But let's think about it in this way. If you led one person to Christ and then you took six months to disciple that person, teach them how to read their Bible, teach them how to pray, teach them the spiritual disciplines, how to study their Bible, how to, how to memorize scripture, uh, how to practice fasting and the other spiritual disciplines that are there and to grow in this vibrant, healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the end of six months, you both go and win someone else to Christ and then you spend another six months discipling those persons. At the end of a year, four people now, there are three that you've led, but you're the fourth, uh, have been saved and discipled at the end of a year. 
Well, at the end of two years, because the four of you went out and, and, and did that and then came back and did it again. So at the end of two years, now 16 people have been saved and discipled. At the end of three years, now 64 people have been saved and discipled or are walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ after six months. At the end of the fourth year, there are 256 people. At the end of year five, 1,024 people will have been saved and discipled for six months. At the end of year six, 4,096 people would have been saved. And if you roll it for one more six-month period, there would be 8,192 people, not just saved, but saved and discipled for a period of six months. More than if you were to lead a person to Christ every day for the next 16 years. Now, you follow that through for the same 16-year time period. And there would be over 4.2 billion people who will have been saved and discipled for a six-month period, knowing how to walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The estimated world population today is about 6.6 billion Sources estimate that there are roughly 2.1 billion Christians in the world today. So taking the world population minus those who already know Christ, how many people need to hear the gospel? 4.5 billion. I had somebody check my numbers this week, all right, because the numbers are not my forte. If we each reach one person and disciple them and teach them to do the same, we could see the world one to Jesus Christ in a generation. I mean, isn't God's plan amazing? And this is God's plan. This is the great commission that we go and lead people to Christ and we make disciples as Jesus has called us to do. And that's why our mission statement as a church says that we are here, we, we exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. The question is, will you do your part? Will you be obedient on this day and all the days of your life so that God can use you as part of his plan for seeing others come to know Jesus Christ. Understand that your service, your giving, your prayers, your investment in this local body of believers is sowing seeds and cultivating soil that could result in hundreds of thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord and being discipled and knowing how to have a growing relationship with him. The power of God working through you can have that kind of impact in the hearts and lives of people both now and for generations to come. So will you walk with God today to find his will for tomorrow? And if so, what steps do you need to take today? Maybe it's giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and beginning this relationship with him where you can grow and you can and begin to discern God's will for your life. Maybe it's taking the step of obedience that these children did this morning and following in believers' baptism. Maybe it's uniting with this church. Maybe there are others of you who simply need to come to the altar and pray that God would help you remember that every day matters. Every day matters. It may feel, uh, if we get caught up in the humdrum and the role of life, that not much is going on and God's not doing a great work. But God is as he's preparing you today for what he wants to do for tomorrow and for next year and for the next decade of your life as you journey with him today. So maybe you want to come to the altar and say, God, help me remember that every day matters. Help me keep my focus on you and walk with you in the course of that day. 
whatever decision may be on your heart today, if God's leading you to respond, then, then I would encourage you to do so as we begin our invitation in just a moment. And remember that God's will is a journey. It's a destination. And so what steps of faith do you need to take today in your journey with God as he accomplishes his will both in and through your life? I pray that today we would each faithfully and obediently walk with God on our leg of the journey. And then when the time comes that we would pass the baton so that those who come behind us may continue to do even greater things for Jesus Christ and the gospel message that he brings.